and welcome back to the Mason Jar Podcast. I'm Karen Curran, the host of this eight-episode series called Education is a Life, Creating Purposeful Culture in Our Homes. This seventh episode is about the role of recreation or amusement or play in forming the soul of the child and the culture in our homes. My guest today is Elsie Uticello. Hi, Elsie. Hey, Karen. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you for being on here with me today and being willing to talk about this um, important topic in yes. our homes. Um, what's going on at your house today? Oh, well, it is still obviously the dead of summer. So we had homeschool this morning and my kids are uh, were a little more efficient than I was hoping today and they finished everything by lunch. And I thought, oh no, what are we going to do the rest of today? So this, this uh, conversation that we're having is perfect because they're off engaging in all their different interests and play. And I kind of have my fingers crossed that there'll be no bloody noses or black eyes in the next 45 minutes or so. Right. That's right. If you're not bleeding, don't come bother me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're here. And um, Elsie, of course, is um, has her website and page on Facebook and on Instagram, and it's called Farmhouse Schoolhouse, right? Yes. And on your website, you blog and you have photos about all the amazing and wonderful things that you do. And um, if you aren't familiar with that, I encourage your listeners to look up Elsie. Um, I saw that you posted something today, and it was really it was really enjoyable to read. And you had like 117 comments almost right away. So you have a following. <laughs> And I'm glad that you're willing to take some time out of your busyness and with your boy. So just remind us how many boys you have. I have four boys. The youngest mm-hmm. is six and the oldest is 11. So, so lots of, I, lots. we have a long way to go and a lot to learn. <laughs> but you're well on your way. Thank you. Um, and so in today's podcast, I want to talk about a few things and we may not get to all of it, but what I want to talk about is what Charlotte Mason has to say about play. And I want to look at the words amusement and recreation. Um, do they mean the same thing? What's the root word? Um, how are each manifested in our homes? I want to talk a little bit about how to guard our home's culture, particularly in regards to screen time and technology. And then maybe if we get to it, talk about some toys, your favorite things that you like to do, um, <laughs> kids that your boys like to do. So how does that sound? That's doable. Totally doable. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> okay, we'll just jump right in. Um, first, I want to review the idea of creating culture. The first episode I did with Heidi and Emily, we talked about how culture is purposeful when we determine this is what I want our family to look like. These are the things that I want them to experience while they're still living in the house. These are the things that we find important enough to define our family by. And and that also culture arises from the things that are subconscious. And a lot of that is determined by our affections. And so what we want to do in our families is to train those affections so that really what is purposeful and what is subconscious are are in line with each other, that they're not divergent. Mm-hmm. So how does that relate to the idea of play in your mind? You just kind of hit the nail on the head with training our affections or I think my husband and I refer to it sometimes as um, sharpening our appetites, giving our kids the appetite for something. And I think another way that we've come to see culture in our family, it was actually influenced by another Andy Crouch book. I know I'm always referencing his books, but I love him. His, um, his uh, book on culture, where he talks about how culture is a way that we make meaning of the world together. And I think that is so true of children because when children play, they're making sense of the world. And so if with, when, within our family cultures, we're making sense of the world or making meaning of the world that we live in, then I think that's going to be a natural extension to children and how they play. So not to throw a really bummer example down, but um, when I was uh, struggling through the hardest um, uh, season with my post-traumatic stress disorder, I realized that beauty was something that would really... Uh, help me get through the day hour by hour. And it didn't have to be something extravagantly 
beautiful that I, that I went out searching for, a lot of it was just in the abundance of ordinary beautiful in my own life. So because I was constantly stopping to say, look at this dragonfly. No, really, let's stop and look at this dragonfly. Or, you know, whenever, you know, when you go for a walk with a toddler and you make it a hundred feet in 45 minutes because they just want to show you every single thing that they see. I think we were a good team when I was really hurting because all my kids were toddlers and we were just, they always wanted to stop. And I was always willing to stop because I just couldn't breathe unless I did. And so our family got into the habit of looking for beauty when we were hurting and I see that manifesting still to this day in our lives. And I, and I see it very much as a part of our family culture. You know, one of my boys the other day said that he was feeling really sad. And he asked me if he could borrow my phone because he wanted to play um, a piece of music that we had studied weeks before that he really enjoyed. And he just wanted to be sad for a moment and listen to it. And I didn't make a big fuss over it. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't want to say, oh, this is so great that you're wanting to... I just said, okay, here you go. And I gave him the phone and I just let it be a natural, normal part of his life. That's that's beautiful. And your photographs that you post are really evidence of what you're saying, bringing beauty into your home and the, and the simplicity of the way, just the way your home looks in your photographs. Beautiful simplicity and and it shows how beauty really does nurture like it really does we just yes. don't say it does like it really does it absolutely does and it's um it's funny photos <laughs> photos are a tricky thing sometimes right because we can't see what's going on outside the borders of mm-hmm. the photo and we don't yeah. it's a static picture of a child that's not moving, that's not fighting with his siblings, that's not doing all of these things, you know? So I I try to be as candid as possible, but, you know, we have a lot of, you know, special needs and different personalities. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I just, I have PTSD. So that adds a whole other element to our, to my mothering and parenting because I have a mental health issue. Mm. So it's, I struggle a lot of times. I, sometimes I wish pictures were broader and pictures were bigger and that they could encompass more. But the big thing that I always try to aim, and this is something we talked about last time, but the big thing I try to aim for when I share pictures of our home life is not like, wow, (laughs) look what we were able to achieve. It's, Look how all the broken pieces fit together. That's mm-hmm. that's grace. <laughs> that's yeah, and, grace that, and that makes it that <laughs> makes it real, right? Because a picture is just a moment. It's it a is. Flash. It is just a moment. Yeah. So so let's let's jump into what does Charlotte Mason say about play? Do you want to just jump into that? I mean, I think Charlotte Mason must have had some really great adventures herself because one of my favorite quotes where she talks about, and it's actually um, one of the first quotes I ever read about her. um, She says, you know, boys and girls have to have time to invent episodes and carry on adventures and live heroic lives, lay sieges, carry forts, even if the fortress be an old armchair. And this is my favorite part. She says, in these affairs, the elders must neither meddle nor make. And Mm. what, you know, when I'm reading that, I thought, okay, so Charlotte Mason definitely had experience with pillow forts and, you know, (laughs) putting together pieces of furniture and hiding under blankets and, you know, running outside and having battles. And, you know, she got that. Otherwise, I don't think she would have been able to say that. And that portion there, elders must neither meddle nor make. I think that was one of the first times when I read that quote where I thought, wow, I looked back to my childhood and thought about the different kinds of play that I had and play where there were no adults interfering was very, very different, obviously, from structured play where there was an adult that was kind of interfering or directing or managing Mm -hmm. things. It was just very different. And the I think what made the difference is that my imagination was typically not engaged if an adult was present because it was kind of deemed useless if there was an adult there. And that's not to say that parents can't play in imaginative games with their kids, but I think there is a big difference between me saying, 
hey, boys, let's do this game and laying out all the parameters, making all the decisions and creating everything. And a child's coming and saying, mom, will you come play with me? We're playing fairies. And then you're just kind of a prop. You're kind of... Right. You're just entering into their world. That's a good way to say it. And you're just along for the ride and you're watching them make sense of the world and make sense of life. And Charlotte talks um, as well about imagination. She says it has the property of magical expansion. The more it holds, the more it will hold. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. with the more it, it contains. And you and I have talked about this before, but you know, Clay Clarkson says that imagination is a muscle that needs to be exercised. Um, I think that's something I appreciate about Charlotte Mason because it's not like an afterthought with her. I don't think she at any point makes it seem like play is something you just tack in at the end of the day. She makes it abundantly clear that play is so, so crucial to children, especially in those early years. It's a muscle that needs to be exercised. It's something that they need to have reign over which, you know, for various reasons is hard today because you hear stories at least, you know, my aunts and uncles talk about life in the 70s or the 60s and how they just (laughs) roamed around and they'd go out the back door and nobody would see them till nighttime. And, you know, the world is certainly changing. So not everyone has the opportunity to do those things. So that's where I think the conversation um, gets really interesting for moms these days is how to preserve that for our kids. Well, yeah, because she, Charlotte Mason has stated that she thinks that children should have five. So let's say they're awake for 13 hours of the day from seven mm-hmm. in the morning till eight at night, that five of those hours should be for play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's not talking about sports teams or video games. She's talking about imaginative play, running around, joyful play, and, you know, Yes. What we call just letting them have at it (laughs) (laughs) without control. I remember um, some of the best memories that I have of when my kids were little was their pretending to be characters from stories. Mm -hmm. And so they would just scramble around and scrounge up random items to put a costume together. And um, we have funny pictures of David and Matthew pretending to be George Washington and a you know <laughs> soldier and and they're just hilarious their costumes are hilarious because it's just a mishmash of things sure. but they're out there and they're being George Washington around the picnic table with melting snow all around them and they're crossing the Delaware on their in their boat which is you know picnic table and <laughs> um, those photographs just are so they bring me so much joy because i remember that play that went on yeah you know, just daily every afternoon or, you know, frequently, but they weren't, and they weren't tempted by screens because we didn't have any, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were just playing. Yeah. And they had all that time. I, I think it's so interesting. I, I mean, just even as, as a former teacher, I always feel like play was the afterthought in the day mm-hmm. where they'd say, you know, you have to get this in, this in, this in, this in, and then here's playground time. And that always made me so sad at the time. It was just because I thought, oh, they're little kids. They should be allowed to play. I hadn't really thought about it more than that. Um, But when I became a mother and started watching my children, like you said, games like David and Matthew played where they're putting on costumes and they're relating the things that they've heard in story form around their home. Or like we talked about earlier, the family culture, the things that their family holds in esteem and they start bringing it out the back door into nature or even just down to the basement or wherever they're taking it, I think it's just an opportunity for kids to realize their capacity to discover their capability of applying all of these virtues or these wonderful things that they've heard about and kind of test it out in the world, right? They read about Hmm. heroes and they go out the back door and they figure out what does that mean at their age, right? Mm -hmm. Or something dies outside and all of a sudden their mind goes to all the things they've read about in stories where someone or something has died. 
And before you know it, you look out the back window and there's kids gathered around some tiny little animal corpse and they're all, you know, having a little funeral for it Mm -hmm. and singing songs from church and doing all of these different things, right? Bringing in their culture from their world to their imaginary world and trying to order everything and make sense of it. And now when I look at my kids, observe them doing things like that, and I read studies about you know, all of these children that were put into school very early and did not have that time to play that are having all of these emotional issues as they're older and needing all this extra counseling and therapy, I think, is it any wonder? (laughs) Is it any wonder they were not able to test out all of those things, make sense of the world around them, figure out their own emotions through play, you know? Mm. So do you, do you, you know, how Charlotte Mason says, um, short lessons and interspersed work with play. So do you, do you let them play in the mornings or do you, you know, depending on the age, I'm sure, they get right. your work done and then play in the afternoon or do you let them take a break yeah. between, so, <laughs> you know, things and go outside or yeah. it's so funny that? that you asked this now because we've had a, a recent change in the last month. So for years, we always did a block schedule where at the top of the hour, we would start a subject and then again, short focus lessons. So as soon as they were done with it, they could go outside or play or do something for the remainder of the hour. And then we would start again at the top of the hour. Mm. I always loved doing it like that because then it would give me a couple of minutes to load the dishwasher, fold a load of laundry, or you know, just get something else done in my day. And I really liked that flow. Well, now my older boys being older realize, hey, if we just sit down and knock this all out in one shot, then we can just go outside and be done and not have to worry about anything anymore. So they're, they have a little more on their own have shifted more to a truer CM schedule where they're Mm -hmm. done by lunchtime. Mm -hmm. Um, My younger ones still seem to like the block schedule better. Um, So for now, they're still doing that. But my older ones, I think, have gotten to an age where they can kind of look at a list in the morning of what they have to do and engage with their stuff and then go outside and play. And then we always come together at the end of the day to do like a little closing board where we talk about all the things that we've learned and we share Mm -hmm. all the kids share the stuff that they're learning or thinking about or questions that they have. And so we still have, you know, the learning continues throughout the day, but yeah, play is a big, big thing over at our house. It's something when I schedule my year, it's one of the first things that I protect. The first thing I protect is dinner I always make mm-hmm. sure that our dinners are set in stone. We have dinner mm-hmm. together every night as a family and um, with my husband because that's his you know, big time with them. Yeah. And, um, and that's really, really important to, to all of us. And then I schedule our playtime. And a lot of that depends on the time of year. So, you know, Charlotte Mason talks about, you know, all that. And then I know people have talked about that to death. You know, does that really mean we have to take our kids outside for six hours a day? And then I always think to myself, well, Charlotte Mason, you know, wasn't a mom, lived in a temperate climate, (laughs) had Mm -hmm. students versus children, which is Mm -hmm. different. That that makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Mm And so I always, you know, take that into account, you know, maybe would the book have looked differently if she wrote it living right next door to the Everglades in the dead of summer? Um, Maybe, you know, maybe the wording would have been a little different. I don't know. But I think the point of just giving the children that time to themselves, I think that I, it's so funny childhood is increasingly such a public thing. The more mothers have social media. And speaking as a mother that has social media, yeah. I'm always really, really careful to protect my children's childhood as mm-hmm. much as I can. I don't mind giving little glimpses, but I'm very protective of their names and their little ideas. I always ask permission before I share something. But I just I think there's a lot to the privacy of childhood. I think about everything else in nature that has to morph in order to become an adult and how that's always done privately (laughs) (laughs) under some kind of, yeah, under some kind of skin or some kind of covering Mm -hmm. or a cocoon. And Mm -hmm. they're allowed to do that privately. I want that so badly for my children to have that privacy of childhood. And I tell my boys sometimes, you know, where I'm like, there's just, you know, things that 
parts of your boyhood that just aren't my business as your mother. Mm -hmm. I just want you, you know, your imaginative world, your play out there, the things that you guys are, you know, the dragons that you're battling in the backyard. It's okay for you not to tell me all of those little things, you know, so that then we can talk about other things and it doesn't feel like I just know about everything in your life. Do you know what I mean? And I think (laughs) that that's a temptation for homeschool mothers, particularly because we're with all our kids all the time, but also because it it's related to the fear. Sure. You know, we want to know what's going on in their souls and their souls aren't a place where we get to go unless right. we're invited. And, right. and I think as they get older, that becomes more, more and more of a reality that we have to let go of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the dangers of homeschooling, I feel, is giving us even more of a false sense of control, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, because we think, oh, if we just read the right books, if we just do this, if we just do that, you know, everything will be okay. And homeschooling is not an insurance policy. We don't get to control all of these things, you know, like your, like your husband always says, you know, souls, not products. And yeah, I, I, I think that that false sense of control can permeate even into play and their thought spaces and all of those things where we just we they do need to have some privacy to think about those things and even having boys you know i have some boys that share a lot of stuff with me but i have others that are not big sharers uh they're quiet processors and i've had to learn to let them come to me and i have seen the value of just being quiet and letting them come to me. And that doesn't mean that I, we don't teach or we don't instruct the way we're supposed to. It just means that we can't force them to share. Or we shouldn't force them to share the things that are on their hearts until yeah. they're ready. Yeah, that's that's very true. And some children play quietly. Yeah. You know, they, they like that. That, you know, that kind of refreshes them. Uh, we had a daughter who just would go in a corner with her dolls or her crafting supplies and she just wanted to be alone and she just wanted to play alone. And that was, you know, in a big family, those were precious moments for her. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, they all, they all play differently. They do. Um, let's talk for a little bit about the words amusement versus amusement and recreation. Mm-hmm. When, you, what, when you hear amusement or recreation, what comes to mind? How are they, how are they different to you? Well, in my mind, recreation involves some kind of skill, (laughs) some kind of something that has already been learned or understood and then applied. It seems more uh, creative in nature. Mm -hmm. It's more about producing and less about consuming. And when I think of amusement, I think of diversion or consumption or... Maybe, and I don't even want to make them all negative, but mm-hmm. I guess something that just doesn't require our engagement with it. Recreation seems like something we have to engage with, and amusement just seems like something we can just either so work, but not like engaged with. So we're sense. more passive. It, yes. Amusement happens yes. to us. Like yes. we can be yes. amused by watching TV. Yes. But we're not really recreated by watching TV. Yes. Uh, perhaps, you know, maybe some things, but generally speaking, which, I mean, that's what we're doing. We're generalizing. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but and, and I think amusement, I, when I looked at the word, it said it was diversion of attention. Hmm. You know, and if one of the things that we want to train our children to do is to pay attention and yes. to attend to things carefully, you know, then we need to be careful to to give them the appropriate amount of recreation as opposed to amusement hmm. and to not make, make amusement be our end, the end result of everything we try to do. That's fun. Right. Absolutely. Something we've kind of the line that we have on that here at home is that whole thing about um, producing and consuming where I'm not against my children engaging in something. I mentioned this book last time that we spoke, but the TechWise Family by Andy Crouch mm-hmm. has been um, really um, important in our family. It's helped us to form a lot of our 
stances on things helped us to really think through a lot of what we had sort of mindlessly been doing before. And that whole um, spending more time producing and less time consuming um, was part of that because really there can be a lot of refreshment in creating something and consuming, especially alone and by ourselves separately. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that Andy Crouch talks about. He says, use screens for a purpose, especially together, not aimlessly alone. I think mm-hmm. that aimless and alone screen time, screen time is very depleting. I mean, I'm sure you've had the experience where you go online to do something and before you know it, you're like, an hour has gone by. What have mm-hmm. I been doing? And really, what benefit did that bring me? Now I know that someone I went to high school with 20 years ago got a new dog and went on vacation. <laughs> and, I read, right. and I read a lot of depressing news I hadn't read. So, okay, yeah. you know, did that better my day? <laughs> did that feed my soul at all. So that's something we've definitely talked to the children about. And I think something that one of them said that I thought was pretty spot on, they said, if whenever you watch something in a movie or on TV, it makes your real life feel less special. And I said, Hmm. what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, in the morning when I get up and we always, you know, go outside first thing in the morning for a nature study. And he said, we go outside and there's this beautiful spider web full of raindrops and or dewdrops. And maybe there's a really cool line of ants marching or some kind of caterpillar. And you sit there wondering, you know, what's it going to become and leaves and the clouds and just everything feels special and you really have to focus to find it. It doesn't just all come at you. You have to go out looking at it and find it in all its little corners and spaces. And there's just so many secrets and you're the one that gets to know about it. And then you go inside and you watch TV and you don't have to do any work. Everything just is right there for you. And it changes so fast and it changes before you have time really to think about it. And he said something like that just makes you, you finish and you're just, you feel kind of like you're in a haze or like you're in a fog and you, you feel like maybe real life is less special or maybe it's not the real thing. Maybe the TV is the real thing and real life is not the real thing. And, um, he's like, that's really scary that, that TV can trick your brain that way. And I said, well, yeah, there's a lot of chemistry behind that. There's a lot of science behind that of how TV works, what parts of the brain it engages and the, the things that it does to us. And there are studies that have been done on you know really young children that spend a lot of time on iPads and stuff that they can no longer differentiate between uh, an image online and an image in the real world, wow. um, something in the real world. You know, those studies are bone frightening. Yes. Yeah. And and you watch a child who is in front of a TV, their body is still. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, I mean, there are times in the day I used to, when I was a young mom, we called it the witching hour. I don't know if that's still yes, called it that. Is. You know, and, end of the day before <laughs> dinner. And um, that's when we would there was a period of time when we let our kids watch Bonanza and that was like, Oh, they're all sitting, they're sitting still, they're watching Bonanza. And of course, when they were done, they'd go out and play, play it. And David would always be, um, little Joe and Matt would be Adam and Katie would have to be Hoss. And she never liked that, but they, they would always play, play what they were watching, which was a good lesson to be careful what they were watching. But, um, it, it, it was kind of, a relief to me to have them all sitting on the couch for the, those few minutes. Um, but they are very passive when they're doing that. Whereas when they're outside, their 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 bodies are engaged and they're mm-hmm. they're jumping and they're playing and they're running, yeah. and and that just changes their emotions, yeah, you know, and their their souls and their minds. It does, and yet there are still. I will readily admit certain kinds of TV shows that my kids have benefited from and mm-hmm. have really, really enjoyed. There is one show um, in particular that they love and it led to them creating, I don't know, upwards of like six research notebooks where they've drawn all these things and written mm. all these things and expanded that particular universe. And they go outside and they play those games and they play it yeah. with their friends. And I think part of the reason that it's gone that way is because we've limited how much they get to see of that particular show 
and also that we didn't drown them in all the paraphernalia that comes with that show. Yeah. Um, and so they had to create their own. They and made then they make own, it their own. Yeah, they made yeah. their own little trading yeah. cards and their own board games and their own versions of all these things. And they've had so much fun with it. So much fun to the point where one of them was like this, you know, we hung out with so-and-so the other day and he had the real trading cards, but ours were way better. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is funny because, you know, for him, he's added all these, you know, extra things to it. And it's, it's almost his own little world now. So... So you you talk when you're talking about the TechWise family, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you talked to your kids about the things that you learned. What would yes. that conversation look like? You know, in regards to fun, because you know they might say, "But but this is fun," you know. And <laughs> what at what point right. is fun? What we gauge what we should be doing by. No. So what would what would conversation like that have looked like? Yeah, I don't think the immediate word they thought of was fun. One of the reasons that we liked that book so much is because mm-hmm. he says it from the beginning, like, look, no one's asking you to become Amish. You don't have right. to get rid of every that's just not realistic right now right. for your kids. And to be honest, in my mind, I was like, even if we did, that's the first thing they would run to when they get out of the house because it was right. other and mysterious and Really, what I want to do is teach them, you know, how to handle this well, how to live yeah. with technology as a servant and not a master. So when we sat the kids down, you know, and, and talked about this, actually, now that I think of it, we, the sitting down, I mean, it was mostly over lunch. We talk mm-hmm. about it in fragments, little pieces here and there. And really, the way I talked to them about it was that I asked them questions which makes sense right now because you know my two older boys are just hitting that dialectic yeah. stage of learning where and that's a you know for the Charlotte Mason listeners more of a classical terminology mm-hmm. but they are making all of those connections and asking a lot of questions so when i ask them then they get a chance to tell me instead of vice versa which at this point in life they're not a fan of being told anything <laughs> so um asking them questions about you know what's valuable in our day? Or what do you think mommy and daddy find valuable? What are the things you see us spending time on? And I'll be honest, not all the answers were positive. Mm-hmm. From their point of view, um, some of it stung. I was like, wow, you think that's important to me? Like that hurts a little. I mean, I didn't say that to them, but in my mind, yeah. I'm like, yikes, like what is their perception of our day? What is it that they're seeing? And that really was a good lesson in, in seeing things from their perspective, but some of it was great. They're like, you guys like to make music. You love singing. Daddy loves playing the piano. Daddy loves to write music. You love reading. You love gardening, all of these things. And then I said, okay, well, you know, why, what are some good things that come out of those types of things? Like, what do you think they add to our family community wise? Because we don't live alone. We live together. So what kinds of things, how does that enrich our whole family life. And then I talked to them. What are the things that you love? How is that enriching our family life? How is that growing you or changing you as a person? And that's a huge conversation to have with little kids. So obviously it's something that had to happen piecemeal. And I think because the adults in their life have fun doing, I mean, genuinely enjoy doing things like (laughs) writing music and gardening, then to them, that is fun. That's the definition of fun because it's laughter and family and being together, appreciating beauty, something that requires skill or that tests them in some way. I know for many of my boys, it is not fun unless it's asking something of them. <laughs> Challenge. Yes. So, so to yes. defeat the dragon, absolutely, so to speak, is right? fun to, so. to rise to that. Mm-hmm. And I have one boy that, you know, from the minute he could walk, he was climbing the highest object in the room and jumping off towards the high- sharpest object in the room mm-hmm. that has just been his whole life. I mean, that whole uh, George Mallory quote, why do you want to climb Everest? Because it's there. Yeah. That's that's him to a T. So I know for him, for something to be defined as fun, there has to be that element of of risk, risk of challenge, challenge. ask something of him. And then he also wants to be able to have some element of, I don't even want to use the word control, 
but just a say in it. You know, it can't be something he's dragged along for. He wants to be, have his own investment in it, his own leadership in it. So, so you were saying that recreation requires skill. And um, that makes me think of, I think I told us when we, when we were talking to Emily about art and music with my grandson, Jeremiah, he saw music be, be fun when, Mm -hmm. you know, his parents' friends would come over with their banjo and their guitar and they'd sit around the fire and they'd play music and, you know, sing or just play music. And he saw everybody really enjoying that and he enjoyed it, but he realizes, oh, that, that requires skill. And so Mm -hmm. he does, he does, you know, practicing his violin is work, but for Hmm. him, it's also fun because he's seeing himself develop a skill and he experienced that in relation to in community where people were enjoying themselves. And that is, that is recreation. You know, being in that kind of environment is recreation as opposed to, to amusement. I would even say something like a board game would be on that line there. That would definitely be recreation. I think of some of the big boy board games we have in our house that the little, the younger ones are like, I want to play too, but they have to sit on our laps because they don't, I haven't yet acquired the skills necessary to play the board game that we're playing. So I see that in a lot of, a lot of different areas. The boys, you know, they like things like woodworking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Woodworking is hard work. (laughs) It's hot in that shed. There's sawdust everywhere. You have to know what you're doing. There's a lot of really sharp tools. There's all of these different things. And yet for them, that is fun. Being with their dad, having that moment of relationship, building something together, that's something they deeply enjoy. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, we laughed really hard a few months ago. My husband came in through the door and one of the boys said, dad, can we, you know, my, my husband, the minute he gets home, it's like the kids are just on him mm-hmm. and they want him outside. They want mm-hmm. him to play. They want him to do all these things. Dad, can we go out and have some fun outside? And he goes, yeah, what do you want to do? And he's like, let's, let's do some, <laughs> some farm work. Let's, you know, fix a fence or do something with the goats. And that just made me laugh because you know, farm work in the summer is hot, sweaty mm. work, but to them it's fun because their dad is there. Yeah. It's good. It's relationship and community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's like swimming. Swimming isn't fun if you don't know how to swim. No, you know, <laughs> no. Um, all of that was Charlotte Mason talks about the benefit of skills in mm-hmm. swimming and skiing and riding and skating and hiking and all of those things. Uh, if we don't know how to do it, then it's not really fun. But when we work at it and we learn the skill, then it, then it becomes fun. And in the same way, it becomes recreation. Yeah. And I think the foundational step to recreation is play. Right? Yeah. Learning how to, well, homegrown preschooler learning how to play skillfully. I forget which book it's in, but that part where she's talking about, you know, the mother sitting on the blanket and letting the child go off and observe something and then come back Mm -hmm. and tell it to the mother, but oh, make sure he's accurate. Don't let him exaggerate. Don't let him say, I saw a million bees. Did (laughs) you really see a million bees? You know, be accurate in your description. All of these things, it's all of these little early narration tools that we're giving them when they're going out there and playing. And, um, just even having, especially if they're playing in a group, <laughs> learning um, how to compromise and how to handle disappointment and how to do all of these different things. I, you know, one of my boys uh, once told me, you know, I can always tell um, when we're playing games with friends if someone hasn't played a lot as a toddler because they can't handle it when they lose at a mm. board game. <laughs> And I said, well, there, there might be something to that. Yeah. There might be something to that. Yeah. And it and all of that shows how education is a life in that the things we learn just aren't from our books, you know, when we're sitting at the table, mm-hmm. that life is learned in in all of what we do. And mm-hmm. and your education comes outside looking at the bees, you know, mm-hmm. or for a toddler going on a walk just as much as from a textbook. Yes. And that it's not compartmentalized. Yeah. So Charlotte Mason says, let the mother go out to play. Do you go yes. out to play? I do my mm-hmm. own kind of play. 
Um, like I said, be- I'm I'm big yeah. on the beauty of God's creation. That's something that's um, has been in many ways almost like a love letter from God is kind of the way I see it. And it's encouragement every day when I get out there and I get to observe things and see things. I very much consider reading, um, playing because it exercises my imagination. I'm a very active reader in terms of writing in my books. I always feel bad when people ask to borrow a book because I kind of feel like they're asking to borrow a piece of my brain too, because I have tons of stuff written in the margins and highlights and questions and all these things. And I think writing for me has always been a form of play. And I do write every single day. So much so that this might, I don't know why I'm sharing this. My son, (laughs) always the other day I came in from the kitchen. He's like, were you running outside? I'm like, no, I was writing. And I forget that when I write, you know, I get like, I just, my, I look wild. (laughs) I'm just, you know, because I'm thinking and I'm doing all these things. And I guess it looks like I just came, I look a little wind blown. (laughs) When you're writing, do you do that with a pencil and paper? Or is he talking about, you know, typing? Like when you write every day, what form does that take? It's both. Yeah, it's both. So I have, um, I'm always writing some kind of a story. Some of them I just read to my kids Mm -hmm. and they're the only ones that hear it. Some of it is for articles that I'm writing. Some of it is for um, the book that I'm working on. Sometimes it's just poetry and stuff no one will ever see Mm -hmm. probably, but I just really like playing with the words and finding out different ways to make them fit together. Um, and I think I was fascinated with it when I went to school to, and started learning English, just realizing that all the words were in different order than they were in Spanish. So English is not your first language. No. And it's weird saying that I I spoke Spanish first, but Mm. I learned English at a very young age. So it almost feels like I have two first languages, but I did have to, I did have that moment of realizing that the English language was not structured the same way that the Spanish language was structured in. So, um, and ever since then, it's just all felt like one big, really fun puzzle. (laughs) So writing is a big thing, Um, gardening and farming, and then playing board games. My boys are really big on board games. And so we play a lot of those together, a lot. Um, Do you play chess with them? They keep trying to teach me. That I have a really so hard time. Because I don't I know why. Do too. Um, okay. My, <laughs> my grandson Coulter, who's seven, he loves chess. And I ha- I hadn't played for years, like since my kids yes. were little. And even when they were little, I wasn't good at it. I can never remember what the different people yes. can do. So I'll have to say to him, wait, so can this per- is- can this guy, whoever this is, can he go up to and over one or up? like over one and up two and, and, and culture got frustrated with me one day and he goes, goes oh me, I'm going to write out this on a three by five card. So you can have it in front of you and you can know what each piece can do. And I, I said, oh. oh, that'd be great. Thanks. Because I, <laughs> I don't, I don't enjoy that kind of strategy. Like I want to just make a move in the moment. I don't want to have to think four moves down the line. Hmm. That's just like, that isn't, fun to me. <laughs> yeah. I I just, I'm similarly have trouble. I don't know. don't know why I feel so dense every time. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where the eight-year-old is like, mom, look, <laughs> this is, and, and they start speaking really slowly. Oh, that's trying funny. to help me get it's... it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to preserve my dignity and go make dinner. You guys have fun. Yeah. I like building kingdoms. Give me settlers of Catan or uh, something like yeah. that. I like I board games. Yes. Word games too. Word games are Scrabble great. Scrabble is great fun. Yes. Scrabble um, is king. Games, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so speaking of games, what, what toys or favorite things do your kids like? Do you have lots of Legos in your house? I'd imagine with boys, you have We some. are a Lego dispensary. We have so many Legos. Um, we just have a ton of those and that really is their primary toy uh, right now. They do have some wooden toys from when they were toddlers. And my six-year-old still plays with those quite a bit. Some wooden animals Mm -hmm. and blocks. They love, I'm a big fan of blocks. Did they have Lincoln logs? 
They did. Yeah, Lincoln Logs were a favorite in our house. Lincoln Logs were huge. But just, again, anything that required something of them (laughs) is usually what garnered shelf space in our house. And and right now, Legos and um, board games are two of the big things. It's funny. these It's summer right now, so there's times where I'm like, all right, you guys can go play, and they'll pick up a book and go read it somewhere. So it's interesting how books are now in the realm of something that they do when they have the option to play. Uh, They will also um, play instruments, play piano, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then um, funny, funny enough, just like their old mama bear, they have been writing a lot in their composition (laughs) notebooks. Like I told you writing, I don't even know a lot of what they're doing in there. They're writing stories, uh, one of them went to one of S.D. Smith's uh, conference talks mm-hmm. for writers and was very inspired. And so he's been writing a lot of oh. stories in this composition notebook. And um, I don't look in there. I don't check it for spelling mistakes. Right. I feel like that's important to say. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I grab and take a red pen to. It is what it is. And we just enjoy it together. Um, and then they have a lot of imaginative play outside. <laughs> it's very rare for them to, to say, you know, I'm going to go play and get a bunch of objects and start and take it outside. Usually if we say it's time to play, they go outside, hopefully with shoes on if they're going near the goat pen. And they just, I don't even know, Karen, sometimes I just, stand by the window and we laugh trying to figure out what they're doing. I have no idea. They play all kinds of stuff. There was one time last year where the window was open and when I heard one of them say, okay, no matter what happens, we stick together just like the 600. And we had been reading Charge of the, Charge of the Light Brigade. And I was yeah. like, oh no, I wonder how this is going to go over. But you know, sometimes they come in coated in mud and have bee stings and all kinds of different things. They, they look wild. They look like they're motherless when they walk in the back door. But they have so much fun out there. So I would count nature as their greatest and best toy and one of their dearest friends. And I know that not everybody has the luxury of acreage or a big backyard. And so I would just encourage, and that was us at one time because we lived in a very small townhouse with no yard when they were very little. And so if I wanted nature, we had to go seek it out. I couldn't just open my back door. And in, in all honesty, that required a lot of effort on my part because I had to pack diapers and food. I mean, it always looked like I was getting ready for some kind of apocalyptic event when really we were just going to the park instead the amount of stuff I had to bring with me. But that's about recreation is it does usually take some work. Yes, it does. It's asking something of you. Yes, it asks something of you. So I learned very quickly to keep a permanent bag in the car with things that we would never bring inside the house because it was stuff that was just for the park. And that way I had... So I had like a separate set of like diapers, wipes, all that stuff that stayed in the car always. And that has stayed to this day. We have, you know bags in the back of our of our um, van right now that are just for the beach. You know, the goggles never come inside the house. They're always outside. The towels, the minute they're done, we fold them, we put them back in the oh, trunk. Oh, smart. Um, so, yeah, so yeah. that's where we store them. That's you where we store all of those things. You mentioned on the other podcast when you were on, you talked about going to the beach. Are you still yes. doing that? You do that once a week? Every week. Yeah. Same. Yeah. But again, like that asks something of you. So you have to have, it's that whole, like, I'm going to schedule this first because it matters. It's Mm -hmm. a priority. We're going to make this happen and I'm going to be prepared for it. And it's, I think moms forget what a gift that playtime to their children can be for them too. Because all those hours that my children were out there playing, then I had time to myself. Or better yet, if I had a friend that had a great backyard, Mm -hmm. I could go bring my kids over and they could play. And then my friend and I could talk or we could discuss a book that we were reading together. Like one of our best um, playdates ever was when a friend and I read through a book together, one of Charlotte Mason's books. Mm -hmm. And I would come over there three days a week and drop the kids up. We'd sit there together and we would talk and we would read through that book. 
and talk about it. And that's it was, a great idea. It was a I, lot easier decoding Charlotte Mason with someone else. Oh yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. Well, because you know all the volumes are fairly thick, and the at least in the set that we have, the print is very small. And mm-hmm. you know that it is a great idea just to chew off a little bit purposefully mm-hmm. like that with a friend. Yes, um, and make that happen. That's a great idea. Yeah. We enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Should do it again. <laughs> so um, we need to wrap this up soon, but I just wanted to end with, you know, what are, um, what are some of the takeaways that somebody who has young children can, can take away and maybe do differently, maybe be encouraged to try in regards to um, fun and recreation with their family? Well... I think a big takeaway for me, even just in talking to you and thinking about this again, is that, you know, these sorts of worthy things ask something of us, require some planning, some effort, but it doesn't have to look perfect right away. It doesn't have to be six hours on the first day. Hmm. Just like when I had PTSD and we would spend 45 minutes walking 100 feet just to go outside and start noticing things. If nature is not your thing, if it's not something that you are accustomed to being in or comfortable even being in, start somewhere, but just start, even if it's small, even if it's tiny. And if you have community, reach out and do it together. I think that's one of the most powerful lessons I've learned as a homeschooler is that just because we're homeschooling doesn't mean we have to do it alone. There is a lot of value in community and reaching out to other moms and saying, Hey, I've noticed that you're really great with bugs. I am not. Can we hang out in nature yeah. together and you deal with the bugs and maybe, you know, I can do art with your, with our mm-hmm. kids, or maybe I can do this other thing and, um, and kind of get together on, on those things. And then of course, realizing that play is foundational. It's a foundational skill and it's so important for the rest of their, not just their education, but their life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of, all of your wisdom, for sharing your experience and your stories about your kids. And um, it was really fun to have you. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. It's always really fun talking to you and learning from you. I appreciate you a lot. Oh, thanks. I, I, David tells me that you're going to do some episodes that down the road to be on the horizon. Yeah. Yes. Well, we are looking forward to that, Thank and you. um, can't wait to hear what your topics are and what you'll be doing. And next time will be my last. It will be my eighth of this episode, and I'm going to be talking to Heidi again and Emily Hill about um, poetry and literature and how they um, contribute to our culture. So that's wonderful. Our listeners will come back and um, thank you again. You can go back to your boys and see what they've been doing. Yes. See see what remains. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, don't think anybody really hurt themselves. No blood, no broken bones. I think I meant more like the pantry. Yeah. Yeah. I come out from podcasting and I'm like, okay, you have been foraging for an hour unsupervised. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sure they had fun. (laughs) I'm sure they did. Yeah. Well, thank you. you. Okay. Bye-bye.